Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode 46. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 46. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. So what's rocking in Switzerland? Wow. Well, um... Yeah, we're here. We we got here uh, just a, a few days ago, and I'm looking out my window at uh, some v- mountains without any clouds on them for the first time, which is kind of nice. And uh, the weather is nice, and uh, we are here at Labrie, uh, you know, and um, have attended one formal meal we're kind of we're kind of not doing quite the student thing i mean we're here with the kids we're here for the summer i'm working but just with the time difference i i do have the luxury of you know working a little later in the in the evening and then taking part of the earlier part of the day to either go to a lecture or a meal discussion or whatever so, um, yeah, was at one meal discussion and was at a lecture just this morning. And the lecture was kind of a big uh, circle uh, discussion on a couple of topics that uh, out of one of uh, Greg's books, Greg Lowry's books, and Greg and Lisby are the, the current directors here at Swiss Library. And uh, they kind of, uh, you know, there was quite a bit. Greg had, had circulated uh, a piece of writing and uh, there was quite a bit to choose from, but one person chose uh, this topic of worship. And Ooh, we, we've talked about that on a recent one, I think. Yeah. Or an upcoming one. I can't remember. Yeah, I think in chapter five of, in our chapter of Misunderstood God, chapter five, we right. touch on the idea of worship. So Yeah. Well, I'll, I'd be interested to... Yeah, reflect on that. Uh, this was an interesting discussion, and, and I, I, I think what before you what, get there, what's it like? Yeah. Like, what, so I was there in nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, and part of two thousand. You and I overlapped, I think, in nineteen ninety nine. Yep, and two thousand. Like, what's that's fourteen years ago? That's a long time ago. What? What's? <laughs> no. Is it the same? Is it different? What's What's the vibe? What what do you see? And I, I should caveat that by saying the vibe is often hugely determined by the people that are there. And yeah. I think somewhat the time of the year. In my experience, yeah, yeah. I was mostly there in the, well, I was there in the fall and the winter and never been there in the summer. Although I understood that the summer was a little more transient in terms of people not staying for as long of a time and that adding a different dynamic. So what do you, what's, yeah. what's, what's going on? Well, you know, I, I think it's a good vibe. I mean, this is, uh, uh, for us, I guess this is the almost the seventh full semester we will would have been here over a huge span of time, you know, back from 95 through to the present. And uh, it seems like a good group of people. It seems fairly cohesive. And remarkably, for a summer term, uh, there are a lot of people staying the whole term and a lot of people who returned from last term. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of consistency. There's more consistency than variation, which I think is not the norm for a summer term here. So that's kind of cool. Um, 
So yeah, anyway, there was a message this morning, and it got you going. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I think we were they were discussing worship, and people were, I, I think, on the one hand, really trying to work out how this idea. I think they were concerned about the sort of overly personal, overly subjective notion of worship is what um, what I do or what happens, and worship is me feeling good at church or something like that. I think Although, it's, I would want to interject here too that the idea of worship, at least when I was there, was somewhat of a controversial topic. And hmm. often kind of threw some of the people off that were coming through because, at least in my experience at Libri in Switzerland, and maybe to a less, and also, well, the other branches I visited as well, worship mm-hmm. in the classical, like, evangelical sense is mm-hmm. very downplayed. Like, there's no, yeah. like, three praise songs and then a discussion. <laughs> if what I recall, the there was a formal church service on Sunday and it was hymns, but that was pretty much it. So there's not like a lot of like guitars and praise songs, and and that was that no. disturbed some people. They're like, wait a minute, like there's how can no this be church. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, well, how can this be a Christian place if there's no emphasis on worship? So yeah, yeah, I'm wondering uh, if that comes into play here too, or if that's still again that was so long ago. Maybe it's not a not a topic or a uh, an issue anymore. But I just wanted to throw that in there too for people that don't know anything about Labrie or haven't been there that's that's another dynamic at play yeah well i mean i don't think that was as big of a i didn't hear any any of that focus i guess what surprised me about the discussion because on the on the one hand i what surprised me about the, the, the discussion was that it it didn't go in a personal direction and i guess on the one hand you know uh the kind of thrust of the uh, of some of the main points that, that Greg was making was about Greg Lowry was making was about you know being careful about being hyper subjective so so you know what what's going on is what i perceive to be going on what's important is what i feel is important and i and on, on the one hand i would say yes if if those are your only um uh measuring sticks then you are perhaps in a difficult place right and 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 for many people that's just a standard thing and they don't even realize they're in a difficult place um and so i take that and i i think that's 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 quite valuable to note and however i think on the on the return we're very we have to be really careful not to say um that that what i like or that what quote-unquote works for me is not important of course they're important they're very important, right? What do you like? And so part of we got we got all the way through this, this, this kind of discussion. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter what I like. It, it's what God likes, Greg. Well, <laughs> but I, you know, and, and then we're, we're not to question any of that. It's just whatever. God made the rules, not us. God yeah, is yeah. God, and we are humans, <laughs> and we are in our place, and He is God. Yeah. Well, um, I didn't. I didn't hear much. I didn't hear as much of that. I think I heard what I heard was a lot of. A lot of apprehension about, you know, well, what is worship and what does it mean? And it seems so vague and it seems so, 
And I thought, on the one hand, yes, it is. On the other hand, it was funny because you know people got to the point where they were saying things like, you know, worship pretty much encompasses everything. And I, there was a point there where I said, whoa, 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 you know, I need to interject here because um, I don't think the idea is that Christians are supposed to be worshipers of God. Christians. Ooh, oh no! But the whole idea of of worship, it, everything. Oh, I can totally hear that now. Yes, everything that we do is an act of worship of God. I mean, even when I'm cooking dinner and even when I'm folding laundry and even when I'm like everything I do can be worshiping God. And isn't that amazing? And shouldn't we try to practice that this week? Yeah. I don't honestly know what that means. You know, you know, and I'm not supposed to, I'm not, I'm not implying, I guess the, the, the first part of my sentence when I was saying that Christians are not supposed to be worshipers of God is not to mean that Christians aren't supposed to worship God, but that I, our identity in terms of the, the kernel of our relationship, is we are supposed to be beings who, who what? Who love God entirely, who love ourselves rightly, who love our neighbors likewise. That, out of that, flows worship. So what was the reaction to that? Uh, most didn't, uh, didn't catch it, I don't think. You know, and I, I wasn't quite as provocative as to begin by saying Christians are not supposed to be worshipers. You know, because I didn't quite have the space to set that up as I would have wanted to. But now reflecting on it, I think that's exactly what I'm thinking, you know, that in reality, worship is a sort of a response to God. It's a sort of a moment, if you like, a reflective moment upon the relationship where there's this kind of, you know, expression. Now, can something... And and I think I think when we start using the word worship, like I'm I'm worshiping God by how I'm folding my laundry... Well, what exactly does that mean? Like you are... Well, maybe not by folding your laundry, but as. When you fold your laundry? <laughs> like, like well, no, seriously, I, I'm trying to figure out what that means because... Well, that, that's what's kind of funny about this stuff. And uh, yeah, I should also say I'm being sarcastic along the way here for people that don't know me. Um, no, but it's it's kind of this mysterious... You don't quite have to explain it or understand it. It's just kind of mysterious. And, you know, God is everywhere and, you know, we should focus on him at all times. And, uh, but no, I think you're totally right that the word worship itself, well, one, I think it comes with a lot of baggage mm. in a positive, maybe in a negative sense that it, I think if you were ask every single person there at a church on some Sunday, what does worship mean? You'll get a thousand different answers. Yeah. So, like, I hear you saying kind of being reflective. I would hear someone else saying, oh, it means to just prostrate yourself and just, just, just you know, completely put your face on the ground and, quote, worship. Yeah, and I think there was this idea of humbling oneself before God. And on the one hand, again, you see, I would really want to ask some questions about, well, okay, what's the picture of God that you have here? And what I heard in the discussion was God is sovereign. And, of course, I raised the notion of God as parent. You know, and what's what's my interaction relative to God as parent? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm joyful. You know, I'm joyful uh, about God as my parent. I am thankful. I am, simply put, you know, and I've said this a number of times, I am in love. And I express that love back to God. And so I, I don't know how I would worship when I'm folding laundry. You know, if I'm not singing a song or whatever, I could reflect, I could interact, I could da 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 But for me, I think there's something a lot more specific about what I would call 
worship as an act of, I guess, intentional reflection upon what I have been about on, on my relationship with God and also vicariously on my on God's relationship with somebody else where they've let me in on that. See, that right? sounds Through, like gratefulness to me. Well, maybe, but I mean, I guess there's also moments of sadness. There's moments of, you know, frustration. There's moments of hopefulness. But I guess what I would say is it, whenever we have a, uh, an opportunity to use a word that is clearer and more succinct for what we're doing versus using a word that's more vague and general, let's use that succinct word. So, you know, if what I'm doing is, is communicating with God, if I'm expressing myself to God, if I'm kind of thinking about God, then I'm communicating with God, expressing myself and thinking about God. I'm not <laughs> worshiping per se. Right? Well, put, Are those you know, things involved I, yeah. in worship? Sure, but worship has to be something different from those in order to be distinct from them. You know, and or else we get this big sort of amorphous thing that becomes worship that becomes essentially meaningless and then risks taking over everything. And I think it's only when we get to the point where we see, you know, and I keep hammering away on this, these top priorities for Christians in terms of, you know, if you take the New Testament seriously, if you think that the New Testament writers got Jesus right, if you think that Jesus was really saying these things or really intending these things as they're written down, that I'm not sure how to back out or work your way around or under or over the idea that loving God entirely, loving yourself rightly, loving your neighbor likewise, that is our focus. And out of that comes everything. And everything we do helps inform that. And that's what it is really at base to be a Christian. That's what it is. So, yeah, I was a bit, I guess, concerned about really the role of experience when we were talking about worship. And I think that while on the one hand, I think something that, you know, the discussion today might have been concerned to um, avoid was this notion that that worship is, is, is whatever I experience it to be and that my experience about worship dictates whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, valuable or not valuable. You know, so if I'm not having a good experience, well, that's just not, that's not right. It's not, it's not worship. It's not working for me. And on the one hand, yes, if everything comes down to how you feel or what quote unquote works for you, then you're using that essentially as your sole yardstick, I think that becomes very problematic. But I think it becomes equally problematic when we remove ourselves from the picture. So when we, in other words, it's not at all about me, how I think, how I feel, you know, is, this hasn't been working for me, quote unquote, this, this, this worship at this church or this situation hasn't been working for me for months, hasn't been working for me for a couple of years. But my job is just to keep going and to keep doing the same old thing or to, to do what I can. And, and regardless of what the outcome is, if it's not working, I just stick with it. And I think my, my, my response to that is, no, I think you're failing to take into consideration what your senses, what your reason, what your other sort of ways of interacting with the world are telling you. You know, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's something that, that would be disagreed with here, but I think that the conversation around experience is one that um, I'm looking forward to opening up a bit 
um, during my time here. So take me back a little bit. What was the article that you read? What point was that article driving at? Or what was it? What point was it trying to make? Well, you know, now here, here, John, I've, I've got to come back to to you. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've talked about this a lot, and this is probably a good time to raise this. But I'll answer your question. I'm not, I'm not dodging it. But so it comes out of one of Greg's books called Living Spiritual Rhythms. It's book one, and we are reading from page fifty one, which is titled Worship. And um, I think I have that. I'll, I'll yeah, you should check. take a look. I don't see. have it. I, w- I wasn't too, too sure how much to say or not to say during this, uh, you know, uh, lecture slash group discussion because I didn't want to take up too much airspace. And so I, I certainly tried to limit myself. But the reason I want to come back to you is, you know, Greg, uh, who was facilitating the discussion, uh, had already, you know, most people have a copy of this, almost everybody, I think. And so they knew what was going to be discussed. And they had a chance to read it beforehand for about a week. And he simply offered or asked, what would people like to talk about relating to these few pages? There was a long pause. I hadn't read it. So I wasn't going to jump in. Although, you know, all this stuff is is kind of, I'm familiar with, with almost all of it because, I've you know, Greg and I have been having so many conversations over the last sort of 10, 15 years. But here was where I want to come back to you, because I remember your comment about how to ask questions, you know, at a discussion, and maybe particularly at a Libri formal meal, where we're, we're trying to discuss a topic that might be, you know, cumbersome or difficult or hard to get a handle on sometimes. And your comment, I mean, what, what, what can you kind of flesh that out? What's your view of how that should be done? What's the best way to approach asking a question like that? I don't... I'm you trying to about, no I I was I thought you were trying to ask me like what I used to say and I remember talking about this but it's I remember <laughs> I remember calling it stacking the deck but now I can't remember what Well I'm thinking about personal examples. Did I say I can't even remember that. I I just remember the idea of some of the best conversations, meal conversations that we had were often conversations and it's funny I because I've taken the same approach to work would be when I had talked to you or maybe a couple other people in advance to say, this is the topic I want to talk about and here's kind of where I want to go. And this is what I want to kind of, kind of setting, kind of getting a few people on my side to kind of help keep the conversation on course. That's what I recall, but that could be totally wrong. What is that? Well, that's really good. I think, I think you should be delivering a lecture here. They should should have it taped. (laughs) They should Skype me in. (laughs) I know they should. Well, I can't that, even that's... remember. I remember. I remember you would you would often compliment me on this, but now that I'm thinking about it, I can't even remember what I advocated. Or, I mean, my other uh, the only other word of wisdom I remember giving is is if you had to do the dishes, you wanted to be driving the bus, which, <laughs> <laughs> which meant that meant you wouldn't be the one washing because that meant you set the pace. That's right. As if you had some turtle doing <laughs> doing the washing, you were hosed. <laughs> You were going to be there twice or three times as long as they talked and, you know, did who knows yeah. what. Yeah, yeah. Well, the point I'm kind of getting at, I guess, is that, in a, like your your point about setting the stage, giving people some context, bringing them, you know, getting them on side in a certain sense. They may not have your particular view on the matter, but at least they know where you're going and what you're looking to get out of it. And I think, you know, interestingly, Greg has done this with the group 
discussions by circulating the material beforehand, letting everybody know kind of here's our here's our bounded set of possible topics. No, but that is was, no, no, you just triggered something. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I've always been big about like here's the outcome or here's what I here's what I do want to talk about. And I think even sometimes I would say, I'm not I do not want to talk about these other things. I'm not interested in that. But here's yeah, here's the context. Here's here's really what I want to get to the heart of and I really want to understand what this thing means or how does this really play out? Versus sometimes we'd sit down. I remember one of the first meals I was at. In fact, I think it was at Greg's Chalet. It was someone was like, "I'd like to talk about what wisdom is." Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, "I was like, oh, this should be interesting." And then we just like wandered all over the map for an hour, defining what like it was so like unproductive because it was just like, "Let's talk mm-hmm. about why why I like that the sky is blue." There was nothing to really wrap your arms around. Yeah. Versus I remember one meal conversation. I remember taking something from Dallas Willard's book, Spirit of the Disciplines. I can't remember what section. I remember taking the book in and being and reading like half of a page and saying, Okay, so what does this mean and how does this really work out? Or something like that. And we had a really good discussion because it was bounded and it yeah, there was, I was trying to get somewhere. So Yeah. Well I don't you know, know that I- helps fill it out more, but continue. No, it does. It does. And I think the big, the big point I was thinking about that you had often, you would often make is about if you're going to raise a question, give me some insight into where you're going and what you're looking for. Give me a personal example if you can, or even give me a generic fabricated example so that I can understand what sense of this you're looking to examine. And I think uh, what happened today was this was kind of put out and it was everything remained very um, hypothetical and very intellectual. And uh, there was very little, there were a couple of examples or a couple of, not even examples, a couple of kind of um, points of reference, you know? So yeah, my church background being a charismatic church, it would often be this sort of anything goes. Okay. Well, I mean, I can kind of get some of that. That, that's, that gives me something as opposed to, you know, just this kind of generic talking about anything goes. Like, I'm not really sure what you mean by that or what was difficult for you about that. So I think that when you're talking about something like, especially something that, that is admittedly very broad or hard to, you know, pin down kind of nebulous like worship in a Christian context, the more examples that you can offer, the better. Yeah, I mean, I offered a couple during my responses about, you know, what is, what is it like to, you know, can, can we, do we need to have things outside of ourselves so that we can um, be, um, become reflective in a, in a, in a, in a legitimate way uh, about who we are and how we act so that we can become self-aware in a way that's not just reinforcing some of our negative patterns. And uh, so... Um, you know, I made an example of, of about how I, you know, we have competing desires, and that those desires, over time, as they work out, can help us see that the way that we're acting in one realm is not the way we think we are. And I made the reference to my schooling at Regent, and that I was really thinking that, you know, I was doing everything that I needed to and everything that I should for my family, so that through my schooling I would excel and be able to move into a new career path. 
and financially be, um, you know, looking after my family. But it wasn't until as time went on and I thought about just the pure or experienced my desire, not only to take care of my family financially, but to be with my family and relate to my kids and relate to my spouse well, that I realized that, you know what, this path that's really in my mind aimed at something good is completely undercutting my ability to relate to my family. And it's not good. It's not, it's no longer valuable. It's, it's cost me too much and I didn't need to back away. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that that's a, that's a really helpful way to interact maybe with all these questions that, that we do. And I think you and I just do it naturally because in other words, we offer personal examples kind of naturally because for us it's, it's insightful. We, we understand each other better when we, when we do that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I guess, I guess this, the, the piece about something I guess that, that will be interesting for us to track with, at least for me to kind of reflect to you as I go along in the 10 weeks I have here, uh, is what this piece about experience looks like and how it sort of comes about in the discussions, how it's presented. And, uh, yeah, it just seemed to me in the discussion that people had very little sense of what there was, they were gross grasping for what they should do. And there was seemed to be no thought of what they would like to do as though they were unable to think of what they would like to do in a way that wasn't completely self-absorbed. Oh, but that, but that's, that's, that's not allowed. Like the, <laughs> like from which one? Well, from from all of my years of accumulated accumulated Christian experience, community, whatever you want to call it. I mean, the idea that you and I was being sarcastic when we started at the beginning here. The idea that you can decide is mm-hmm. it's not even on the table. Mm-hmm. We can decide because we're sinful. We're fa- we're affected by the fall. We delude ourselves into what we think is best, and so I mean, it's that's why we need to read the Bible and pray and all these other things so that we can get the right way to do it and to get the right answers. Because left to our own devices, we will just deceive ourselves and we'll never get there. We can't get there on our own. We have to. We need God. So, what would that sort of deception that that people that Christians might understand or believe about themselves, self-deception or self-deceptibility, what would that look like in terms of worship? How would they? Well, it would be kind of, in fact, I found, I think I found it when you were talking Mm. in the book. It's in this book, it's, well, it's, it's just one volume. It says living spiritual rhythms for today. And Mm -hmm. it's on page 55 and it's titled worship. Yeah, I think you're in the right spot. You've okay, got a bigger so, book. So then at the bottom, you know, he, well, this is interesting. He says, this is towards the third or fourth paragraph. Greg writes, Does worship in many Christian contexts have more to do with making it up as we go along, a subtle yet radical form of idolatry, than it does with reading Scripture? A reading not only for ourselves, but equally against ourselves. Do we, in this context, end up too often endorsing rather than undermining self-deception? Hmm. That's pretty dense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think he would, he's, you know, in the paragraph above that, 
worship these days, at least in my view, seems to have so little to do with a focus on a close reading of Scripture. Why is that? So I think he's really kind of pushing, pushing the point back to, you know, it's not just about your experience of God, it's about, you know, who is this God and how do you know this God? Well, you know this God, and I would say you know this God in two ways. You know this God through experiencing this God, and you know this God through the text. And if you're using only one, it doesn't matter which one, you're missing something. There I would strongly hunch that, well, and, and Labrie can be fairly academic and intellectual. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there I'm guessing, though, that th- there would be a heavy favoring of the Bible and, you know, that the Bible is this tangible, and we have this conversation several times, that mm. the Bible is this tangible, uh, concrete thing that we can read and understand, and uh, it's not up to us, it's it's what's there. Mm-hmm. Now, so you've raised a number of times, and I totally agree with we also bring ourselves to what's written there and we're always interpreting mm-hmm. even when we think we're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember if I've answered your question or if we've strayed. Well, I mean, you mentioned, you just kind of, yeah, read that, that paragraph out and mentioned that it was dense and me talking about the kind of, I guess, or maybe there was a question before that of what, what would happen in a, in a church context, how would they deal with the kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're self-deceived and uh, we're deceived? Oh, oh, you were commenting that people seem to mostly be coming from the perspective of what, quote, should I do versus what would I like or what would work for me? Or is, is that right? Well, it almost seemed here as though in, in light of an awareness that we need to be um, you know, Greg would say, call it decentering. You know, it's not all about me. And I would agree with that. And yet, as I put back to him, I think it's an involve, involved and... Um, well, this comes back to our conversation about being a zero. The whole not being a zero. Because as you, you've said, well, yeah, but if there's none of me, then I don't exist. Like, how does that work? Yeah, and I think we need to strike a real balance there. And I think it, 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 it can be tough you know, it is it is a tough thing to to deal with one's uh, uh, experience and and to to kind of work through that and to kind of make these things you know figure out how these things go together. But you know, it's it's difficult to make the Bible the ultimate arbiter because I'm still reading it, I'm still interpreting it, right? And I think what needs to be the arbiter is is this continued sort of, it's, it's both. It's both my reading of my experience, my reading of the text, other people's reading of my experience, right? I inform other people. I share my story with other people. I live alongside of and in community in various different ways. You and I are in community, even though we're hundreds of miles apart and see each other maybe once a year, right? But you know my story, you reflect back to me about certain things and you kind of give me feedback, and you might disagree with the way that I've seen something. And I, I really need to take that seriously because you know me really well and you also have my best interest at heart, right? You, you care for me. And so I guess, yeah, what I saw was and what concerned me uh, in the discussion was really a bunch of people who had maybe come from a context where it's kind of they make it up as they go along or, you know, who knows what type of 
you know, context they have for, um, for worship. Maybe it's liturgy, right? So somebody else has made it up for them. Which doesn't, you know, we're always, we're always, this is a creative kind of, um, you know, and when we're thinking about worship in a formal sense, um, it, it doesn't get us out of the trap by, by thinking about worship as, you know, it's, it's not just a, in a formal sense, it's, it's, it's whatever. Sure, that's true, but then we risk, we run the risk of getting it back into that uh, um, problem of, the notion of worship becoming so large and amorphous that it engulfs everything and yet gives no distinction or clarity to the things that it engulfs. So it's this notion that's of no value, right? Versus this very small notion that's only formal worship. And then, you know, I think, I think that's where most people were focused and I think that's okay. And then they were also having problems though, by accepting the idea that, hey, you know what? Yeah, it can't be all about me and what I make up and what I kind of create as this is how I should worship God or this is what worship means or whatever. Um, I, I guess, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, at the bottom of, the, the, the bottom of it all, I, I think the, the best way I would have of saying it is that being in love with God and God's love for me me loving God, God loving me, these things are related to and distinct from, which is, you know, if you, if you know Greg Lowry, that's, that's very much his terminology, what it is for me to be in love with my family, my spouse, my friends, right? The, the people around me that are meaningful to me. To be in love relationships with God is, is related to, it's, it's very, very similar, but it's also distinct. How is it distinct? This is, a, this is a particular area of distinction of that love relationship. I do not experience or focus or know myself to be in a relationship that includes worship anywhere but with God. That is part of the distinctiveness of that relationship. What exactly is that distinctiveness? I think it's based on the, the, the distinct nature of how I relate to God, who God is to me, who I am to God. God is both sovereign and parent, sovereign and parent, me, respectively, as both servant and child. And in that kind of dual context that I really look at and put under the two headings, really, of truth in terms of sovereignty and, and servanthood and love, parenthood and childhood, that's for me the working out of that and the reflection on those specific kind of that specific nature that for me is worship so where did the conversation end like was there was there any kind of conclusion or what um well, not so much um not that there ever really is. <laughs> No, not that there ever really. <laughs> that was is. one of my first frustrations <laughs> at Lafree was, you know, you'd have these long conversation and I'd be like, okay, well, what's the answer? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Like, well, there's that often wasn't the point. The point was, <laughs> yeah, the, the, which, which is, which again is, it's a different way of coming at things. Where mm -hmm. you're again, again, it all comes back to what should I believe? What is the answer? Just tell me, mm -hmm. or convince me of what. I should do, and then I'll I'll do it. Or no, that's not you know. And that was it. And I kind of got into it a little bit. I didn't really get enough. There wasn't enough room to run. But 
one of the things I wanted to ask people is what inspires you about God? Oh, what that's really a good one. You up? That's a really good one. And how does that play out in terms of your communication with God? You really appreciate this about God. When do you tell God that? And what does it look like when you do? And yeah, because that no, that gets back to your to the point about personal examples and and it real because then it the minute you ask that question, it's no longer an intellectual exercise. Yeah, and I think people were trapped in the exercise, and I mean, I don't mean to say that in a negative sense. I think <clears throat> let me say it again. Maybe many people were freed by the exercise, but I got the sense that some of them were trapped by it, or that you know the freedom of being in the exercise was not sufficient to meet the need. That's the sense I got. And I would want to, of course, on the one hand, I, you know, I really value Greg's uh, very astute, very keen uh, intellectual kind of uh, uh, summations and understandings. And, and not to say, not to say at all, I'm not saying by that in any sense that he's not very, uh, experientially informed but that when it comes to yeah breaking some of that stuff out you know and 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 asking people you know what's that space look like when it's really working well for you what is it what components does it have you know and get them sort of thinking that way and you know one of the guys was very good about that he said worship for me is something i do on my own i can only do it alone i feel like when i'm with other people it just doesn't work and I'm trying to think of some of the examples he mentioned or some of the reasons, rather, for that situation. But, yeah, so all that to say, I guess, this um, particular discussion has really got me thinking again about the, 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 the nature and value of experience and, you know, how we go about understanding it, adjudicating it, uh, you know, um, valuing it. For example, in Christianity, relative to, say, uh, what we're reading in the biblical text, how those two interact. And, and I, I think they interact well, and I think they have a mutual, they're mutually productive, and they're synergistic, right? The two together give you more, the sum of them give you more than the component parts. That's my wager. Well, the spooky music means only one thing. This episode's over, but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment at our website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 46. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. And if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast, we're running a survey. Untanglingchristianity.com slash survey. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons License. Thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website. Tune in next week for a new episode.